I bet you there is some advice that you would love to give seniors today, isn't there? You remember that time in your life when you got ready to graduate and boy, you had the world by the tail, didn't you? And everything that you thought that you were going to do and everything that you were thought that you were going to be didn't go the way that you thought it was going to be and what you were going to do. And So I bet you that there is some advice that you would love to be able to share. Let me share this with you guys, those of you that are seniors. Um, you've got your plans, but then God's got his plans. So make a decision, figure out the difference, and choose to follow him. That's all I got to say. Choose to follow him. Because it's a whole lot easier ride when you say yes to him. Instead of saying, yes, God, I want to do my agenda. Let's pick up where we left off last week. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at a story this morning, but uh, we have been in the middle of a series about the pursuit of greatness, and uh, we've been asking this, the question, what does it mean to be great? And so we've came to the conclusion to this point that there's a difference between being great at something and choosing to be Great. Last, year, last week we were in the New Testament and we looked at uh, a story in reference to the Good Samaritan. And we've also said this, that we take what we are saying in the, in the basis of what we're saying, going back to, to Jesus in a, in a conversation that he had with his disciples. And as they were discussing the issue of greatness and position, Jesus didn't condemn them for, for wanting to be great, but he said, guys, listen, let me just define greatness for you. And so that's what he did. And we, we went back and we saw in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, where Jesus said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. And so what Jesus was saying is that greatness isn't about musical talent, it's not about skill, it's not about intellect, it's not about athletic ability, but greatness is a choice. And whoever wants to be a servant must, uh, whoever wants to be great must first choose to be a servant. And so that's where we've left off. But today, what we want to do is we want to go back to the Old Testament and we want to look at a story about a man by the name of David. And if you grew up in church, if you've listened to, to some of the readings in the Old Testament, it wouldn't surprise me that you know something about David. Um, David, if you remember one of the big stories, was David killed this guy by the name of Goliath. Goliath had been intimidating. Uh, he was taunting the people, the children of Israel, the army, and nobody would step forward to take on Goliath. And there was this young boy by the name of David who stepped in. He said, guys, I don't understand. Here he is taunting us, and he's, and he's sort of, he's going at the Lord, and nobody will take him on. He said, I'll take him on. And so if you remember the story, he, he goes in and he finds three, he finds some smooth stones and he, he takes out that sling and he, and he kills Goliath there in front of everybody. And all of a sudden, this nobody becomes a somebody and he becomes a hometown hero overnight. And so I want you to make sure that you turn with me if you've got your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and we're going to start there at verse 5. We're going to come back uh, to verse 1 in just a few minutes, but let me start at verse 5. Now let's pick up this story and see what's going on and, and what's happening. So this is what it reads in verse 5 as we start out today. Whatever Saul, who was the king, asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him commander over the men of war in an appointment that was welcomed by the people in Saul's 
officers alike. So here David is. He becomes voted most popular, most likely to succeed. Everybody knew him. Everybody wanted to have lunch with him. And King Saul saw his potential. And it says a little bit earlier in the story that anytime David saw somebody that had potential, he would bring them into his army and put them in an important position. And that's exactly what he does here. And look at what it says as it goes on there in verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all over towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and with cymbals. And this was their song that they sang. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. So here they are celebrating, singing Saul has killed a bunch of people, but David's killed a whole bunch more. Here's a young shepherd boy that not long before was out in the field tending the sheep. But all the eyes now are focused on him, just like it was yesterday. That wouldn't surprise me if some of you got up at 5 o'clock in the morning to watch that. Or you watched the reruns of it, right? What a glorious day. All the eyes of the world, CNN, CBS, NBC, Fox, MSNBC, you name it. It was there. Everybody was wanting to see what took place. All the eyes were focused. All the news stations are lined up here, now outside the tent. And they're all wanting to get an interview from David to talk to the hometown hero. And look at what it said there in verse 8. This made Saul very angry. wonder why he was so angry. Should have been celebrating, right? But he was angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with tens, thousands, tens and with ten thousands, and me with only a thousand. Next, they'll be making him their king. Do you think there's any jealousy involved here? Any tension that you that you sense in the air? And all of a sudden, here it is. Saul goes from being a supporter of David that now he's not so much a supporter any longer. All of a sudden, Saul becomes defensive and territorial, and the Bible says there in verse 9, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Boy, jealousy eats you up, won't it? Any jealous people in the room today? Nobody wants to raise their hands. Anybody ever been jealous before? That's hard to even admit that. Where does jealousy come from? It's from the flesh. It's from the natural man. If you look in Galatians chapter 5, it, he talks about some of the, some of the uh, acts of the sinful nature. And he says, uh, Paul says this, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And he goes on to, man... And jealousy is a part of that. But it's not a, it's not a part of the Spirit. It's not, a, it's not a part of the man of God. It's a part of the flesh. It's that sinful nature. Sin of the flesh. And you know what it'll do? Jealousy will rot you from the inside out, won't it? See, jealousy is one of those things that we can sit in a church service and raise our hand and say, Man, I love Jesus. 
and something's going on in your heart and nobody will know. There are those moments in time when you can keep it suppressed and, and, and you just keep it down. And man, I love Jesus. I went to Bible study last week. I had a great time working with the children. The children. I'm observing over it beyond the walls. Everything's great. Making some food for my neighbor. They're sick. And nobody knows the whole time that there's something that's going on the inside that's just eating, just eating us alive. I've got a plum tree out back. And from time to time, it'll produce these really, really nice fruit. And I'll never forget the first time that I took a bite out of it, Sean. I took a bite out, and there was a worm in the middle. I couldn't tell it from the outside. From the outside, man, everything looked good. But on the inside, there was a worm. And it didn't start and come from the outside, but it started from the inside. And I thought, my goodness gracious. But that's exactly what jealousy does. It's not something that you just all of a day, I'm going to stand up and be. Nobody has to teach you to be jealous. You're born with it. You're born into it. You're sinners. We all are sinners. We have to fight against that type of an attitude. So it, it not only rots us from the inside, but it prompts us to wish ill will on others as well. I love what Charles Spurgeon had to say. He says, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. It's a battle that wages within every one of our hearts. Even the heart of a believer, it's still there. And you have to wage war against it. But no longer does it have bondage over the life of the believer. We don't have it. For the person that struggles with jealousy, it also prompts us to, to wish ill will on other people. Have you ever wished that something bad would happen to another person? You ever wanted somebody to fail? Did you ever wanted, want somebody to go through a time of difficulty? You, wish that, you ever wish that on somebody? You wouldn't admit it if, if it were true, right? I think there are those times that we go, boy, they, they got it coming. I can't wait because I know it's going to hit them. I know it's going to take place. Jealousy manifests itself in wanting something bad to happen. And here it says, it says in verse 9, for from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye. I don't know what a jealous eye is. We were talking about that this morning. Anna said, Daddy, every time they saw him, they were jealous. I said, maybe so, baby. Maybe that's where the evil eye comes in. Or the stank eye. But whatever it was, it wasn't a good eye, was it? It was, a, it was a jealous eye. So easy it is for us to be able to celebrate another person's failures or troubles. But there's more people inside of this story than just the characters of, of Saul and David. Because Saul also had a son. A son by the name of Jonathan. A pretty brave guy himself because we find out in the story prior to this that Jonathan and his his armor bearer had killed 20 Philistines at one time. So Jonathan wasn't a wimp by any means. And he wasn't just a king's son, but he was also very well respected. And so you've got the king and the king's son who would naturally be next in line to be, to be, uh, to be uh, sit on the throne of his father after he was gone. And here is all the accolades that David is receiving. And Jonathan could have been jealous and bitter just like his dad, but it wasn't the case. So here's David and Jonathan, probably close to the same age, both very popular guys, 
There could have been competitiveness, but there didn't seem to be that sense of tension between the two of them. I want you to go back to verse 1 and let's look and see what it says. Because there was something that happened in their lives. And we see it in verse 1. It says in chapter 18, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond between them for Jonathan loved David. Here it was an opportunity for there to be tremendous amounts of tension and to be stress. And yet there wasn't because Jonathan would eventually become David's biggest advocate. I mean, don't you think that Jonathan could have become defensive and jealous because of what was going on? But what Jonathan did was he chose to bypass his personal agenda on behalf of another person because he believed in David. And look at what it says in verse 2. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and he wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed that pact by the taking off of his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. So here's Jonathan giving some very important pieces of clothing and, and artillery that he had, his armor, the royal robe, and he gave it to, to David as a sign of his commitment to him. And what Jonathan did was, was, was huge because it was almost like the passing of a, of a torch a sign of what was, come, what was to come. And Jonathan didn't offer it begrudgingly, but he did it so willingly. Because Jonathan knew that David would eventually be king, not himself. And Jonathan chose to serve instead of be served. They had a great relationship. Now, if we were to go and we were to talk about great relationships, there are lots of characteristics that we could say make for or create an environment to have a great relationship. But let me just give you three things really quickly. Number one, a commitment. Write that down, a commitment. Which is so hard to find in relationships these days. Because most relationships are disposable. Let's just be honest. I mean, I will love you, I will care for you, I'll be your friend as long as you do for me what I want you to do for me. But as soon as you don't, I'm out of here. I'm done with you. Sounds like marriages, don't it? I mean, I will be yours as long as, and there always seems to be a but placed in there somewhere. No more committed till death do part, but until you make me mad, until you make me upset, or until you make me angry. Another thing is communication, important in relationships. A third thing is consistency, but not only consistency, but what about trust? Choosing to believe the best, even in those moments and times when it doesn't look the best. And so on one hand, you've got Jonathan, who has a strong relationship with David. Yet the whole time, here's Saul wanting to get rid of David. Saul was threatened and he was intimidated because he didn't want to lose his position. So instead of embracing David and the success that he was having, he wanted to do everything he could to undermine him. And eventually, what he wanted to do, because of the jealousy, because of his agenda, he wanted to kill David. But eventually, his jealousy would get the best of him. Look over at, at chapter 19, verse 8. And look at what the story has to say. 
It said war broke out after that, and David led his troops against the Philistines, and he attacked them with such a fury that they all ran away. <laughs> I mean, this is how powerful David was becoming. This is, this is how well-known of a warrior that he was becoming. He was a legend, and it continued to grow as God blessed him. And it, all the time with David's success became uh, Saul's continued growth in bitterness. And look at what it says in verse 9. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with a spear in his hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way, leaving the spear stuck in the wall, and he fled, and he escaped into the night. The guy that was supposed to be in control, the guy that was supposed to be in charge, all of a sudden loses his mind. Let me give you a little bit of a background to what's going on here. Back in chapter 15, we see where God had instructed uh, Saul to go and kill all the Amalekites. They had been a thorn in the flesh since coming to the promised land. And what he, what he wanted Saul to do was to go in to destroy them, destroy all the people, destroy all the leadership, destroy all the animals, all the livestock. And that was the, that was the, uh, the instructions that the Lord gave him. But Saul didn't follow the Lord's instructions. As a matter of fact, what he did is he, he saved the king and the best of the animals. So God sent Samuel the priest to tell Saul because of the disobedience or partial obedience that God had, re, and just as he had rejected God, God had now rejected him as, as king. And it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says that the spirit of the Lord that once rested on Saul now left him. And as a result, the Lord had sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Are you with me? Now listen to what it goes on to, to do. I can't understand. I don't, I don't necessarily understand exactly what's going on. It's difficult to explain. But this is what I know. This one capable, strong, courageous leader who was spirit-filled was overcome by depression and fear because he had not obeyed the Lord. That's what the scripture has to say. And here we see in chapter 19, verse, verse 9, that the tormenting spirit from the Lord came upon him again. It doesn't say that it possessed him, but it said it came upon him and it tormented him. That would lead to his insanity. He wasn't in his right mind. Boy, can we stop and can we have a conversation here. Think about how many times in life that we wrestle and we struggle and there's a tormenting spirit that comes upon us. Upon us. And whereas one time we were competent and one time we were strong and one time we were courageous, all of a sudden we become possessed with depression and fear and overwhelmed with that, that, that type of an attitude. And where does that come from? Is it, has it come because of disobedience from the Lord? I mean, you would think looking back on the story, I mean, Saul was doing the right thing, or really was he doing the right thing, saving King Ahab and saving some of the animals. They said they saved the best of the animals. And you know what they said? So that they could offer a sacrifice. If you go back and look, Saul had built an altar, but you know why he built him a monument? He built a monument to himself. Oh my goodness gracious. And how many times do we do things on behalf of the Lord and say, man, look at what the Lord wants me to do. And it's not about the Lord at all. 
It's about our own selves. And here it is that this man that was strong and courageous all of a sudden becomes overcome with depression and fear. Going back to the story, David wasn't just a strong warrior, but we also see he was a very talented musician. And he would play for the king from time to time as he would become depressed because of the tormenting spirit. And this time while he was playing, Saul lost it. And he threw a spear at David. David ducked and the spear stuck in the wall and David ran. I think I would have ran too. What about you? I think that was a wise choice. So here it is, what might have been a private matter, something that might have been uh, undisclosed, something that might have been personal in Saul's life, all of a sudden it comes to the top. And all of this jealousy and hatred towards David now becomes a public matter. And David runs, and guess who he runs to? He runs to the man that he considered to be his best friend, who just happened to be the king's son. And look at the interaction between the two in chapter 20, verse 1. David now fled from Naoth and Ramah and found Jonathan. What have I done, he said. What's my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? What's he, what's he so ticked at me about? What have I done? Why does he want to kill me? And Jonathan says, man, that's not true. You're not going to die. Listen, Dad always tells me everything that he's going to do, even the littlest of things. I know my father wouldn't hide anything from me like this. It's just, man, it's just not so. How hard is it sometimes to detect the bitterness and the anger in somebody's life? And see, there are probably some of you, some, some just sitting here today. And until you blow your top, who would know it? But it's just, it's just on the inside, and it's happening, and it's boiling. And it said in verse 3, Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear to it by the Lord and by your own soul. And so here it is, Jonathan's faced with a decision. What's he going to do? I mean, is he just going to... Blow it off? That's eh, not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal, David. Dad will get over it. Would he try to protect David and say, listen, man, you need to run? Would he betray David and say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I think we need to go see Dad. Everything's going to be just fine. But so, so here's Jonathan. Here's David coming to Jonathan. Jonathan having to figure out what he's going to do, what he's going to say, how he's going to, how he's going to respond. And look at what Jonathan had to say in verse 4. He said, tell me what I can do to help you, he exclaimed. Whatever, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. You ever been in a situation where you found somebody in trouble? And you stepped in to say, listen, man, tell me what I can do to help. They didn't beat you down. You didn't beat them down. But for whatever was going on in your life or somebody else's life, what you ended up doing is somebody stepped in and said, listen, man, tell me what I can do. There's a whole lot of you guys in here that I know, listen, I can count on you because I know that if I'm walking through something, I know that, hey, man, Scott, Scott will say, tell me what I can do to help. 
Steve will say, tell me what I can do to help. Michael will say, tell me what I can do to help. I bet you Jay would say, tell me what I can do. Bill would say, tell me what I can do to help. But it's not always that case in many people's lives. And so he says, tell me what I can do to help. Jonathan didn't blink an eye. Man, I'm here for you. And Jonathan and David decided he's going to take him up on his offer. And so this is what David says to Jonathan. He said, listen. He said, I know there's a new moon festival that's coming, and we get together like this every month. And he said, all of us sit around your dad's table, and he said, we, we celebrate at that time. And he said, I'm not going to show up at this, at this meal. And he said, I just want to see how your dad responds. And so you watch, and you see how your dad responds when I skip this celebration. Tell me what happens, how your father reacts. And Jonathan said, man, that's okay. That's a great idea. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what you do. You go hide in the field, and tomorrow after the party's over, he said, I'll come out and I'll let you know how my father has responded. Whether or not my dad's mad. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send my little boy that chases the arrows. I'll send him out into the field, and if the arrow lands beside him, you're going to know that it's okay. But if I shoot the arrow over his head and he has to run over it, you're going to know that, listen, man, my dad is just, he's lost it, and you better get out of Dodge. So it's time for the feast. The table is set. The king is sitting at the head of the table, and everybody's there except for David. David didn't show up. And so the king asks, where's David at? And Jonathan says, well, Dad, David couldn't make it today. He's out celebrating. He's out of town. And this was Saul's response. Chapter 20, verse 30. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a, oh my goodness gracious. You see what it says. I didn't say it. And he swore at him. Do you think I, I, didn't, I don't know that you want him to be the king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? Listen, as long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now you go and you get him so I can kill him. Woo! That's a tormenting spirit if I've ever seen one. He's mad. He's upset. So Saul blasts Jonathan. He tells him, man, listen, I know exactly what you're up to. And you're never going to be king as long as, as David is alive. So you go get David right now so I can kill him. You don't have to do it. Just bring him to me and I'll take care of it. It's not good. And here's Jonathan faced with a choice. Betray David and be king or take what he had and come alongside of David. And what would you do? What was the easiest of choices? Betray David and become king, right? See, if we're all honest with each other, that's probably what we would have done. But there was a relationship and there was a commitment between David and Jonathan. There was something special. I mean, how many of us have betrayed another person for financial or positional gain? How many of us have ever betrayed another friend and here's what Jonathan does. He asks his dad a question. Sometimes you just need to keep your mouth shut. Because look what happens. But why should you put him to death, he says in verse 32. Jonathan asks his dad, what has he done? And this would be the last time that he would defend David to his father. 
Because look at what it says in verse 33. Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Now, pretty interesting. Saul hurls two spears at two different guys and missed both times. So either he's a bad shot or David and Jonathan are pretty doggone quick. I was on the uh, track field not long ago, and I was sitting and I was observing the discus throw. Very interested in that since I used to not be so good at throwing the discus. And you know, you get that sense, that feeling that something might bad might happen. Are you with me? And so everybody's just sort of milling around and everybody's laughing and kids sitting all over behind. The, I mean, we're behind the fence over here. And all of a sudden, I heard somebody holler, and here comes a discus out back behind. How it got thrown back behind, I have no earthly idea. And people are scattering like a bunch of flies. And after it was all over, I heard this coach, man, y'all better get out of the way. You're going to get hit. And this one kid says, coach, look, where I live, there's bullets that fly around all the time. And he said, coach, I've learned to dip and dodge, and nobody's going to hit me with a discus. <laughs> it was all I could do to contain my, myself. But here's Jonathan. He's out in the field, and he shoots the area over the head of the young boy that's retrieving, and it was a sign to David from Jonathan. He sent the boy off, and David came out from where he had been hiding, and the Bible says that they embraced one another and there were tears, and they ended their meeting with Jonathan saying to David, I want you to go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to one another in the Lord's name. And the Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. And then David left Jonathan, and he returned to the town. Now it was just a few chapters later where we'll see where David and Jonathan interact with each other in the battlefield again. And it was at that time that Jonathan again encouraged David and at that time, he told Jonathan, or Jonathan told David that you will be the next king. And if you follow the story, we see where Jonathan, along with two other sons of Saul, were killed in a future battle. Saul himself was wounded and would end up taking his own life in chapter 31. And so here it is, what I want you to take note of. Two men came into the story of David. About the same time, and they leave about the same yet time, yet both of them took different paths. One of them tried to kill David. The other one tried to help David. Jonathan would not only save David's life, but he would give up his right to be king on behalf of David. Whereas Saul was full of jealousy, Jonathan was full of love and compassion. Saul trusted in what he could see. Jonathan trusted in what he couldn't see. I mean, here was a man who was heir to the throne and he was willing to give up that position and his own agenda for another man. It's a big deal. And you know what? Here's the reality. All of us are at this same place. All of us are at this same place. At a place somewhere in the storyline where we ourselves are having to make a choice. 
we're having to make a determination about what we're going to do and how we're going to respond. Do we pursue our own agendas at the expense of others or do we embrace others and leverage our gifts and talents and ability to walk alongside of them? And what was it that Jonathan said? Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. It's nothing to think about our own interest, is it? It's nothing for us to be able to put ourselves in front of others and do whatever benefits us, but there's something different when somebody begins to consider the interest of others. And you might want to write this down. Greatness isn't about putting ourselves out front, but it's when we choose to leverage what we have for the sake of another person. And the story is about David and Jonathan and Saul. But the reality is that each one of us are writing our own story. Whose agenda? Whose agenda? God's agenda or your agenda?